you know, I have this this illustration in my book around the the before and after photos that were on the walls at Weight Watchers. Like it's such a lie that there's like this sad, overweight person on one side. And then there's this like happy, smiling, at goal woman who's been made over and she's living her life. And there's nothing in between. There's just two pictures. And in between those two pictures were so many decisions and so many, so many highs and so many lows and so much process that it's not supposed to be this crazy like fantasy dream. It's a real thing. And you do real work around it and you have real results. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 31 of the Feeling Full podcast. I hope your day is off to a great start. I am Mordechai, an entrepreneur and coach who struggled with being overweight for nearly two decades. But since 2012, I've lost 130 pounds and have kept it off. Join me and my guest today to discover how it's possible and even simple to lose weight with ease without going on crazy diets or without doing intense workouts. If you're ready to give up quick fixes and fad diets and build a fulfilling relationship with your body and food, then this show is for you. Today, my guest is Liz Josephberg. Liz is a weight loss expert. Early in her teens, Liz struggled badly with her weight. She went on every single diet she can imagine, but nothing worked until she went to Weight Watchers. She loved the support at Weight Watchers, the accountability, and the education that she was getting around nutrition, health, and all the things that go with it. One thing led to another, and eventually she took a job as a receptionist when the opportunity opened up at Weight Watchers, and then went on to lead dozens of groups. And eventually, she found herself coaching the CEO, Dave Kirshoff, helping him lose 40 pounds. So Liz became this like secret weapon that Weight Watchers had. And Weight Watchers had lots of clients who are like celebrities who didn't want to necessarily go to meetings because they're well-known. And, you know, people who are in that status, the VIP clients, didn't want to be associated like that with Weight Watchers. So Liz went out to work with them, bringing the groups to them, like Oscar winner Jennifer Hudson and Jessica Simpson, to name a few. And she literally took Weight Watchers, the philosophy, brought it to them and built off that to help them establish health in their lives, helping them lose hundreds of pounds. Since Liz has been on a mission to help people lose weight and keep it off, and her simple approach has always been creating healthy habits, making small changes. Eventually, Liz went out on her own in 2013, and she authored a book called Target 100, where she shares six areas of your life that you can focus on that will help you sustain your weight, not only sustain your weight, but also lose weight. One of the things that are really important is to unlearn everything you learn on a diet, because diet culture is very much you know black or white, perfect or not perfect, and that doesn't really work long long term. There has to be room for for the gray area. And Liz is very much focused on how to live a sustainable life with weight loss, not only losing the weight, but also being able to keep it off. Liz has helped thousands of people and has been featured and sharing her teachings all over the media. Good Morning America, Dr. Oz Show, The Oprah Winfrey Show, Katie and the Doctors. I'm really excited about this interview and her philosophy. Liz really simplifies things for weight loss. And if you're somebody who's struggling with your weight, know that there's some really great tips in here for you. And I'm just really excited to bring you this interview. Before we get started, two things. If you know somebody else who may be struggling with their weight, who may be inspired by this conversation, please share this episode with them. And it would mean the world to me if you take a few seconds to subscribe to this podcast. Not only will that ensure that you never miss an episode, but you'll also greatly help the growth of the podcast. Alrighty, thanks for listening and let's jump right in. I'm really happy to have you on the show. Thank you for joining. I read your book and I was just really blown away by uh, the simplicity and the approach. Overall, I mean, the thing that was the most resonant with me was how gentle everything was. Mm. 
weight loss can be such an intense thing for so many people. And your approach was so gentle and kind and just really felt, felt, had a really nice ease to it. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm really, really happy to be here. And it's always a pleasure for me to speak to somebody who understands a weight loss journey. Uh, it's very often that, that you have conversations uh, that where you can't share as much because I have my own weight loss journey and my own weight maintenance journey. And uh, I think that really led to the simplicity with which I tried to write the book. And having been in the weight loss industry for so long and been able to be in focus groups behind the glass and listen to what people were really saying and really what was actually working versus what people think works. It was like every time I heard them, they, they kept asking, could you make this easier? Could you make it easier? And that was my goal was like, hey, I want to really let people know that weight loss doesn't have to hurt. You don't have to be a miserable person. You don't have to give up your life. And that it is about finding some relief from diet mentality and really connecting to yourself and what you want versus what the industry tells you you should want. I completely agree. The why is so is so important for so, I mean for all of us really. I want to start with Weight Watchers because I know you spent a lot of time working at Weight Watchers uh, and also attending yes. Weight Watchers. I've attended Weight Watchers as well. I spoke about this on the show um, quite a bit. People I've interviewed who have had experiences going to Weight Watchers most of them have been negative. And it's really interesting and inspiring to hear somebody who had a really positive experience, so much so that you wanted to work there. You know, I'm curious, yeah. how did that all happen? You know, that's what's so interesting for me is, you know, I went to Weight Watchers and I, you know, I went there as a client. I had weight to lose. Uh, I've had a lifetime of weight issues. So I had done every diet under the sun. And I'm a self-starter. I'm an entrepreneur. So I was always like, I got this. I can do this. And I didn't realize, I think, until I sat in room of other people who were talking about their weight issues, that some of the internal feelings and thoughts that I was having, other people were having too. And it made me feel so much less broken and so much less alone to experience just even hearing other people's experiences. I think that was it more than anything was like, you know, I, I grew up in a family with a lot of pressure around looking a certain way and being a certain way. Then I became a professional actress, which was filled with looking a certain way and acting a certain way. And I think I internalized all these feelings and I never let them, I never even really recognized they were there until I heard other people saying they felt out of control or they were having these behaviors that they couldn't understand. And after it was really freeing, I didn't need their food plan. After years of dieting, like it wasn't like I didn't know I should be eating, you know, a salad for lunch. It was so much more for me about the recognition that I was not really kind of the only one in the world doing the things I was doing because that was what was killing me was that I would do it for a, whatever diet that I chose. I would do it for a while and then I would quit that diet and that, that feeling of not being able to stick with something or not being able to achieve something and feeling like just repeated failure, I think, that I was like, oh, other people feel that repeated failure too. Oh, okay. So there's something here. And I think that's 
that was like even the birth of Target 100, right? Of my eventual work was like, oh, we're all thinking the same thing. We just don't know why we're thinking it or how to relieve ourselves of it. So that was what got me. That's what got you two Weight Watchers. What got me to it was just, I was like, oh, I've never tried that one. And then I sat in that room and was like, oh, this is powerful. So how long did you go to Weight Watchers for before you actually decided you're going to work for them? Well, I went there and got all the way to my goal weight. At the time, it was like a 35-pound weight loss, which I'd done five or six or seven times already in my life. And as I sat there, you know, having reached my goal, I realized if I didn't get some accountability and support, which was all that was, I mean, that's all that Weight Watchers was, was you had to show up, you had to get on a scale in front of another human being, and then you had to sit in a room and get the support you needed around whatever challenge it was that was coming your way, that if I didn't stay there, I was going to do the same thing again. I was going to walk out that door. I would believe I was fixed. I would walk away and I would go back to my old habits and behaviors. And so I said, hmm, I guess, you know, and of course they were actively recruiting anyone who hit their goal weight and they were like, hey, you want a job? Yeah. And I was just in this really weird transition. I had been a professional actress for 10 years. I have a master's degree in opera. I'd done major, you know, Broadway musicals like Les Miserables and Showboat. And I was leaving acting at the time and I was really looking for something, you know, and I was like, oh, it's a little part-time job. That's good. It'll keep me accountable because as an employee of Weight Watchers, you had to weigh in monthly for your job. Wow. This is like a little known secret. I did not know that. Yeah. You had to weigh monthly for your job. So if you're gaining weight. You lose a job. Wow. Yeah. Interesting approach. Yeah. Yeah. Is it still like that? Because that seems like a little bit. You know that- what? I think they've actually <laughs> just in the like last year and a half or two years begun to move away from that policy. And so, you know, and it wasn't like, hey, you get fired the day you come in. You got support and you got, you know, like they said, okay, you're gaining weight, you know, whatever. But still, I mean, you think of that now and you're like, wow, what? Yeah. That was the policy it was like, you, you know, you needed to stay at your goal weight to work there. So, you know, you were an inspiration and a motivation for people. That was the idea. It's like, you know, you want to inspire and motivate people. So how did you go from becoming, was it a receptionist at first? Yeah. So I was a receptionist. And then you eventually were helping the CEO of Weight Watchers at the time lose weight. Yeah, it was crazy, right? So I so I got that job. I started doing the the lowest level, you know, which was called a receptionist. And, you know, I had to weigh in. I was in New York City. I was I was working in the most populous and um, you know, the most meetings in, you know, any place in the world. Um, I was popping on the A train, going up to Harlem to to do weigh-ins there all day long, going to different places, weighing hundreds of people in a day. Then I was like, well, this is cool. I want to become a leader. So I became a leader which is the person who stands up in front of the room and sort of delivers the curriculum every week of that. It was right up my alley because I'd been an actress. So I was like, oh, I got this. I get up there. I'm like making people laugh. I'm singing. I'm, you know, engaging them. We're, We're building, you know, community. It was wonderful. It was really, really, it's like a time I look on so fondly. And then 
funny enough, weightwatchers.com at the time exist. Weight Watchers is like very mom and pop type place that didn't really believe in a website. This is like 2002. And they said, no, we don't want a website. Websites are never going to take off. They're totally going to go away. Why would we spend our money or our time on that? So these very smart sort of venture capitalist guys bought up all the domain names around Weight Watchers. They bought Wheat Watchers and Watchers Weight and anything that was remotely close and said, listen, let us develop your website as a license. And, you know, they that's what they did. So you've now got a bunch of venture capital guys hi- hiring about, you know, all these tech guys building a website. They really don't know who the consumer is. So I was hired in to do a couple of things. I was hired in to help them with content because they needed somebody to write from the perspective of, you know, the person losing weight. What what would they want to read about? I was hired in to help with success stories because I, you know, could tell them all day long about people who'd reached their goals. So I would just call those people and we'd do success, the success story photo shoots. And then I was helping them kind of just navigate how would a consumer want to use a weight loss website? It had never really been done before. So I was that kind of voice of the consumer. So that put me in kind of all these just really important spots in the development of that website. And then I ended up meeting at the time, the CEO, Dave Kirkhoff, uh, was the CEO of WeightWatchers.com. So now I'm actively working for two companies, right? Weight Watchers as a leader and WeightWatchers.com as sort of this consumer voice. So he and I, he said, you know, since you're doing all of this work and we don't know anything about weight loss, why don't you lead a meeting for us here in the office? So I can't remember what day of the week it was, but some, you know, lunchtime on Tuesdays, I would have like 15 or 20 people in a big boardroom come in and I would just replicate these meetings. And Dave was in the meeting and we ended up just really hitting it off and he had a lot of success, lost like 40 pounds. And, you know, it just sort of started this really strong relationship between us because when you help somebody lose weight, you really, it's a very intimate process. And, you know, it is emotional, you know, uh, like I said, that's that's the part about Weight Watchers that got me was the emotional, mental, and uh, the you know mental emotional piece of the weight loss process. So ended up you know getting working at WeightWatchers.com, and then WeightWatchers.com was bought back by Weight Watchers and uh, integrated. So then I was finally working for one company, and Dave Kirkhoff became the CEO of Weight Watchers International after that. So that's how I met him. That's really incredible. What does that mean that they were bought back? Is that because they were a public company? No, it just means that they were really just a licensed product that Weight Watchers has licensed ah, the uh, their name to the website. Got it. So, so Dave was the CEO of WeightWatchers.com. And then he became the CEO of, of the entire Weight Watchers International once WeightWatchers.com was kind of brought in under the umbrella of actual Weight Watchers. Yeah. Got it. So. How did that affect your role, the fact that Dave had such great success with your your guidance? It was interesting because, you know, he just kept sort of placing me in really, really important places. So I became sort of their go-to consumer voice because he knew not only was I, you know, maintaining a weight loss and, and actually even in between these times, I had a baby, I gained 50 pounds, lost that, had another baby, gained 65 pounds, lost that, and was maintaining that. So I've had these huge weight losses. 
And he knew that I was the consumer. He knew that I had this strong connection to the consumer base. So he ended up putting me in places like research projects and development of programs. And then eventually, you know, because he knew the strong work that I did with him, um, and especially, you know, people like Dave, he couldn't always come to the meetings. So I would make these special trips to his office. I'd bring a scale. I'd make sure I brought him special products. I would really support him. He was like, you know, hey, we are getting some phone calls from celebrities who want to do Weight Watchers. But at the time, I've got to tell you, Weight Watchers did not have a very strong brand. And most people thought of it as something they would be embarrassed to tell anybody they were doing. So he's like, you know, they don't want to go to a meeting. First of all, they're a celebrity and they don't want anyone to know they're doing Weight Watchers, but they want to do it. So I'm going to put you in there. So the first person that he sort of assigned me to was Katie Couric who was, you know, becoming, she was going to be the first, I'm not sure I'm going to say it correctly, but the first female anchor of a newscast. And it was a big deal. And she wanted to look her best. And she was in New York. So I started visiting her at her apartment and taking her through the program. And, you know, it just kind of grew from there. So he really just trusted me. I think that that's what, what it was, is he trusted me to have the insights that that would lead to the right decisions because I was the consumer and that I could supply people with the insights that they needed to lose the weight that they wanted to, no matter who they were. So you're getting sent around this point to work with high profile. Was this a department that you're working with VIP clients or just kind no. of like a experiment that you guys were working on? And it was 100% experimental. It was just like, hey, Katie Kirk called, go do this. And he said it to me. He's like, go out and build me a black ops level of Weight Watchers. <laughs> like, he's like, just go do it. He said, and while you're doing it, write the manual and, you know, write down everything you're doing and everything that's happening. And I did. I mean, I literally did. I created a whole curriculum around it. So, yeah. Are there any like uh, VIP stories that were really rewarding that you got like any, any funny situations or surprising situations? Oh my God, they're endless. You know, I mean, I just think it just grew so quickly from there. And most of the people, you know, a lot of times these were I, other people I can't even talk about that I've helped because they came right. to us and they didn't want anyone to know. They were never going to become a national spokesperson. Like Katie Couric, she, she never became a, a spokesperson for us. That wasn't the goal. But, you know, the relationships and the, I don't know, I, I'm just going to go back to like when you help someone lose weight, it's just so intimate and so important. So, you know, I think even with Katie, she was getting into her 50s. She was wanting to look her best. And we decided like that her exercise just was like not where it needed to be because she'd kind of gotten into this place where she's doing a lot of Pilates and a lot of yoga. And, you know, we were like, okay, if you want to get in the great shape, we've got to really pick it up. And so we were like, I said, what do you like? And she's like, well, I don't really know. And I said, so let's take the summer. I'll come and meet you. And we will try a different exercise class until we find something that you like every week. So this kicked off this hilarious tour of us signing up for and taking different classes together. And I will never forget. And I, I just, I'll never find it. It was on an old phone. We took some video of us taking Zumba together. And we literally were just laughing so hard and having a great time, but it was definitely not pretty. It was a hoot. 
it sounds like what you were doing was customizing, helping people who didn't have the time to customize their own program, customize their own, you know, wellness, weight loss program. Because that's what I saw, you know, after being a leader and being a receptionist and talking to people day in and day out, I was like, oh, everybody's doing something different. I was like, nobody's doing Weight Watchers. They just think they are, right? Like they just are under the umbrella of Weight Watchers, but they're piecing together all of these disparate pieces. The ones that are successful were the ones that were piecing it together and figuring out what really that they liked. You know, it ended up that Katie Couric loved spinning. We went to Flywheel and she loved it and she would go back repeatedly because she enjoyed it. And so that became her go-to exercise. And then we worked in the yoga and the Pilates, but we put in a couple of higher, you know, higher endurance, higher cardio thresholds for her to get her to where she needed to go. So yes, that's again, sort of where some of the vision for what my work is now and what my knowledge base is now was like, I've always served as this expert. I went back and became a personal trainer. I went back and got a nutrition exercise specialty because I was like, you know, there's no one in this industry who really knows all the sides and has actually lost weight. So I was like, I want to know everything about nutrition, exercise, you know, all of the sides of what makes somebody successful behavior modification, because then I can serve as that center point where I say like, okay, how do we find what works for you? How do we design your perfect formula? Not mine. Don't, don't copy me. Don't think, oh, because she lost that weight, which is what the industry is all about. Hey, let me put somebody out there and have you just follow them blindly. It's totally not about that. It's about being singularly focused on what you like, what you need, and what will get you the success that you're looking for. Yeah. So, so much of that is how I've been able to also lose weight similar Mm -hmm. to you is like figuring out what works for me, what I enjoy. And I think that fun element that you experienced with Katie was this idea of just doing things that you're really going to do because you enjoy them, not because you want to lose weight. Because by default, if you're doing things that you enjoy that are healthy, you're going to naturally lose weight and be healthy or you'll be in good shape, or at least closer to it by doing more of those things. So that's really interesting. I'm curious how else this, the, the work that you were doing at Weight Watchers inspired your work target 100? Well, you know, I think it was the sheer volume of the work, you know, I mean, and the sheer, uh, the, you know, I was working with Katie Couric and then it turned into Jennifer Hudson and Charles Barkley and Jessica Simpson. And all the while they had me flying around helping other people. And when they thought about using somebody in a, you know, maybe in an ad campaign and they wanted to just assess if that person was the right fit for us, I would fly out and meet them and talk to them all day about their experience, uh, you know, and what their weight loss goals were and what their reasons for wanting to do this were. And then I would fly back home and I'd lead a hundred people in a meeting on Park Avenue South in, you know, of, of real people who are getting up every day and doing every job from, being a mail carrier to a doctor to a you know a, a school teacher so i got to see i think that's what it was it was the sheer volume and the sheer connectivity that i would take as my single most important piece and the 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 fact that it was all different people so working with Katie Couric for me and for with Jennifer Hudson or Jessica Simpson it was no different there was no difference whatsoever 
they just had different circumstances, right? So even when I'd hear people kind of discount people like a Jessica Simpson, oh, she has all this money and she can have a trainer and she can have a chef. And, and I was always like, you really don't get it, do you? You can tell that trainer to go home because you're a multimillionaire. And you can tell that chef, make me some cookies. Like when you're at that level, it's not easy. It's in fact, I think it's much harder. You know, there were times I would walk in to Jessica Simpson's house and the chef would have made cookies and the whole house smelled of chocolate chip cookies that they had made for the children. And, you know, it's not that you get to wake up just because you have more money than somebody else and that this weight loss process becomes easy. It's just not easy, period, end of sentence. And if you look at it, you have to make personal decisions all day long. And is that decision that you're going to get up at 6 a.m. and go do your workout before you go to work because you know that you won't do it when you get back? And even as hard as that is, right, those decisions don't stop because you have the money to pay people to make your meals. You still can choose not to eat the meal or when the chef leaves at night to raid the kitchen because you have a late night eating problem. So I always want people to understand that universally, weight loss is a unique Rubik's Cube of challenges, and those challenges never stop. That's the big misconception in weight loss, and you know this because of your incredible weight loss and your maintenance, is that every season, every, what about COVID? COVID blew up my weight loss. My, it blew up my workouts. It blew up my food. It blew up my family. My kids are home from school. I now sit in a box up in my office where I used to walk 20,000 steps in New York City every day. And I had to figure out weight loss or weight maintenance all over again. So for those people who really think that this is a, hey, I can snap a program on top of myself and have success, longstanding success, it's never going to happen. But if you can change your mindset and say, this is an amazing Rubik's Cube, it keeps getting scrambled. It gets scrambled by different situations, a job change, a death in the family, moving across the country, COVID. You have got to keep being willing to make the adjustments. I always liken it to surfing, right? Like you're just constantly moving towards balance, constantly moving a little forward, a little back, trying to ride the next wave, trying to find momentum, trying to jump back on the board. And there is no in and there is no out. There's no stop. There's no start. So just helping people to understand the process of lasting weight loss will be the goal of my life. Yeah, I, I feel you on that. <laughs> I feel like it's always it's always shifting and changing and you're always analyzing how to revisit your own plan. Like what, based on your circumstances, what do you do differently? I want to get into that. But before we get into that, I want to talk about how you bounce back from COVID. I know many people listening, we all have gone through this COVID thing and um, it's affect everybody on different levels. I'm curious how you not so much dealt with it, but how you recovered from it. Cause it sounds like you had a little bit of a, a tussle with it at first. Yeah. I mean, I, and, and it's so funny again, cause I help hundreds of people at a time still to this day. And so I was going through it in real time with real people who were really trying to either lose weight or maintain their weight. And so I saw this, it was, and now that we're a little bit further outside of it, I think it was funny at first it was, oh, 
this is awesome, right? I'm going to exercise more and I'm going to go on long walks with my husband and we're going to do this. And in fact, I actually had a very easy time in the beginning. And then as it started to go on and my job, you know, started, you know, as I say, I lost all the movement in my life. Now I'm sitting in the Zoom box. I lost my gym. I lost my, you know, a lot of my routines, which, you know, as as we get into talking about my work now, it's so much about habit formation. And I had so many great habits I had. On, and habits are these wonderful things that you don't think about. And all of a sudden, I'm feeding two kids a couple times a day, a lot of like mac and cheese and things that are kind of fun to take a few bites of. And, you know, I just started to see that I needed to really revisit it. And I will say it's the hardest weight maintenance of my life. Proudly, I I stayed within a five-pound range for the entirety of COVID because I stayed in the battle. But it was constant. And this is the work that I always talk about, which is like, I want. I had to keep looking at where were my habits regressing. Where were the things? Where were the bites of food I was taking? Where were the the, the dropping of my walk because now it's freezing cold and we're in New Jersey and it's pitch black at four o'clock and now I'm not taking that second walk, and going you're not taking the second walk. Okay, maybe we should drop a snack because you're sitting in a Zoom box and you're not taking your second walk. I don't think you need a snack in the middle of the day. Are you hungry or are you eating the snack because it's four o'clock and that's when you eat a snack? And I started to examine my own behavior. And that's the game that, it, and it is a game. Like when you look at it as a game, it's so much fun. Like, did you hear me? I just moved the pieces all around the board and I made it work. I didn't, right. I didn't get upset. I didn't face it as I was, that I was losing something and that I couldn't have something. I was like, okay, I understand. When it gets warm in the spring, I'm going to get my walk back. And I, you know, but I do need to make adjustments. It's constant sh- small adjustments that I was making. I'm still battling though. So even though I stayed in a range, the reason I know I stayed in that range is because I weigh in regularly, which I think is for any one of us who has lost weight, it can become this wonderful tool. It's no longer a judger. It's not a number to shame you. It's a number to let you know that are the behaviors that I'm doing now, are they giving me what I want or am I going in the wrong direction? Because that's always how I gained my weight back in the past was I stopped looking. I put my head in the sand. I started pulling out the stretchy pants. I stopped looking in mirrors. I stopped buying new clothes. And you know, at least the the grounding in knowing that if I weighed myself in, I could know where I was. And I look at it that way. I'm just so grateful to it at this point, just to be like, because my brain won't tell me I've gained right. five pounds. It doesn't tell you, especially when you're sitting all day and all you see from is you from the neck up and so, you're sitting in your stretch right. pants. Weighing is such a complicated thing because yeah. it feels like, you know, I go through phases. Right now I'm in a phase where I don't, I don't weigh myself and it's, I've been going through yeah. this like for, for months. And then I'll go through a, fa- a period where I'll just weigh myself every single day for, you yeah. know, I did that. For, I Actually, part of COVID, I was doing that for like five or six months. And you know, I find myself much happier when I'm not weighing myself. Even I've dealt mm-hmm. a lot with a lot of the work around the scale. And there you you go. Know, I, I, I feel freer when I'm not weighing myself. And I know it's also dangerous. The downside of it is I can easily slip five, 10 pounds without even knowing it, maybe even lose it, but maybe not. And it's really interesting to hear you talk about that. I'm curious, 
So you weigh yourself, is it every day or once a month? Or what's the, uh, what's no, the regimen? No, I mean, as, as close as I can to, to every day, I'd probably get on four or five times a week. It's all, it's, you know, it's all just determined by my schedule if I remember, you know, Got but it. most of the time I do. And I find it fascinating. I actually, I've led these challenges with people. The scale to me is just a, a wonderful tool. And I find my body to be a science project. I really focus, I try to get people to focus on the fact that this is a science project. There is no judgment here. Is it when you, you know, I've learned so much about my body. When I do a hard weight workout and I'm sore, the body's inflamed and I go up two to three pounds in a day. So understanding the fluctuations of my body and understanding how the body works are really important. So I try to get people to the point where you are, which is, Weigh yourself long enough. I always say this to people, weigh yourself regularly, whether that's, you know, every other day, once a week, pretty close to once a week, regularly enough to where I could look at you and ask you, hey, let's play a game. How much do you weigh? And you could tell me within a pound what you weigh right now, even if you hadn't weighed yourself in a month. Do you think you could do that? I bet you could. I, I mean, I can tell, I, I would say within a pound or two. Yeah, because of the way my clothing is fitting. You know, there you I, go. I, I look at my body and I can see. Yeah, maybe I don't know if I can do it. A pound, a pound or two, maybe a stretch <laughs> within five for sure. Within well, five for oh, sure, but a pound or two. And the reasoning behind this for me is the reason I always was was gaining the weight was like I wasn't aware. I wasn't aware of my eating. I wasn't aware of my habits. I wasn't aware of my behaviors. I wasn't aware of you know so many things, and it's becoming aware of your body and how it feels and how it looks at certain weights or because of certain things, like I said, like a hard workout, being sore, that what that does and learning how the processes of your body work. A lot of times I find for, for my clients, it's so freeing to get to the point where you don't need to. You can go for months at a time and sustain very close to your goal weight and sustaining close to it, right, is amazing because none of that's the other thing none of us stay at the same weight all the time even healthy people with with very natural relationships to food fluctuate right so i think it's people in the in the weight loss world they are under this impression that first of all if you're if you're on a weight loss program you should lose weight every week that's not true when you get to your goal, you should just be at one number all the time. Like that you should get on if it's 125 every day you get on. If you're doing the right thing, it's 125. It's not true. The body fluctuates all over the place. And so staying in a five to seven pound range is weight maintenance. So that is like knowing that and sort of going, oh, okay, because I gained a couple of pounds doesn't mean I'm out of it. Because that's what I'm always trying to ward against is this idea for people that if they gain a couple of pounds back, that they're bad, they've failed, and it's over. So they go and they just check out and they go back to all the old behaviors, which, because I did it at least seven times. So I know what it's like to go like, okay, well, there it is. I guess it's over. I guess I'll have some pizza. You know, it's it's a real response that people have. So I'm always trying to like pull all of that judgment away and give education around what's truly happening, not the story around what's happening. Yeah. And I think another thing you touched on how how important it is to connect to how you feel 
right? Versus what the number on the scale is, the story that we have, which we make it mean about us. Yes. That's where that's where the magic lies. And I, I think I recently saw a scale that doesn't measure you by weight, but measures you by like a grade. Yes. There's there. Uh, I actually consulted for a company that makes a scale that doesn't have a number on it because people get so wrapped up in the number and instead it gives you a color and an age, a chronological age around your weight. So if you are overweight and, you know, a high body fat percentage, it's going to say, you know, maybe you're 45, but actually chronologically you're closer to 55 because of the composition of your body. So it can really motivate you and get you kind of excited as you can bring that color and that, that chronological age closer to your actual age because people got so wrapped up in the number. And, you know, it's just, as someone who had to weigh people, hundreds and hundreds of people a day sometimes, the number is so irrelevant. What, what's that scale called? It's called the Shapa scale. The, the Shapa? Yeah. Sounds so cool. Have you tried it out? Yeah, I actually consulted for them. I helped them in the development of some of the behavior modifications in the app. Um, oh, because wow. it is, yeah, yeah. So there's, it's an incredible tool. You know, yeah, if the scale is making you crazy, that's the thing is if, if it makes you crazy, and it really does. And it used to make me crazy. So I'm not sitting here going like, hey, guys, I got this. And it's so easy. And I don't, I remember a visceral response to the scale and it ruining days of the week, weeks of the week for me. So I'm not saying, hey, just wake up and everything's going to be fine if you look at it just like I do. This took work. This took saying, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to stand on it every day and see what it's all about. And I'm going to track, did I do a workout? How was I feeling, right? And really look at this information as information instead of a judgment on me. And that's when things kind of really shifted, but it wasn't like an overnight snap your fingers kind of thing. I'm sure your empathy went a long way being um, working at Weight Watchers and your receptionist, everyone stepping on that scale when they, someone doesn't lose weight, but they think they did because they had such a great week. Yeah. And they come in to the weigh themselves. It's, that must be, I mean, there's been so many times where I was in a scale, <laughs> I didn't lose yeah. weight. And you just you, the person behind the counter, you just, you know, you're looking at them and you're like, oh, I'm, you know, it's okay. What are, some, what are some of the things you say to people? Do you remember? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, really, it was, it, it was so interesting, though, also, because we were trained never to, I think that was the beginning of, of understanding that you don't really know where somebody is, right? Because even in our training, you know, they said like, okay, if somebody steps up on the scale and they gain two pounds, how do you react? And, you know, in the training, we didn't, we hadn't really been taught. And we're like, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, it's so hard. I know what that feels like. Oh. And they're like, wait, what if she went to a party and thought she was going to gain five pounds and only gain two pounds? Maybe she's feeling like a rock star. So maybe you don't assume you know what somebody else feels. So that was mind blowing, right? That was one of those moments where you go like, okay, even if somebody stays the same, let me not assume that they're feeling what I might've felt in that situation because they might be thrilled. So really it's all about listening and saying, oh, that, you know, so how was your week, right? Instead of putting your assumptions on someone that they feel bad that they didn't lose weight and really being open, like a hundred percent open to what their experience was versus oh, I'm sorry, mm, you know, like, which is that judgy diet mentality again, which is, oh, yeah, you must have done something bad. I mean, I wonder what it was, you know? Oh, man, that's rough. So it's the opposite of that. I think where you can really help people succeed is 
in the empathy world in the complete and utter lack of, of judgment because we all are just human beings living this life. And maybe it was the greatest week of your life and you're thrilled you didn't lose any weight because you right. thought you were, ga- you were going to gain five, you know? Been there, been there. Yeah. And you just won the lotto of weight loss. Exactly. You don't want to put a damper on that. One thing we touched on earlier, which I want to go back to, the idea of f- helping people figure out what their unique plan is. That's such a golden ticket. Once you understand that you're the project, no diet is going to actually work. You are the, you are the project, you are the experiment. And like, because I'm constantly tinkering with things. I'm like, oh, that, you know, hot food in the morning makes me a little sleepy or just, I'm always, it's never stopping. And like, you know, COVID and then you talk about how, when you had, you know, your boys, you gained weight. So it's like, there's always, life is always going to change and scenarios are always going to, you know, can easily throw us lopsided. Right. Yes. How do you navigate? How do you coach? I know you coach thousands of people. How do you help people understand that they're the director of themselves? And how do you walk through that process of designing your ideal plan, game plan, agreements, whatever you want to call it? Yeah. Well, it's so interesting, you know, because every single person is a universe. They have different likes and dislikes. And and I think it's kind of hilarious, you know, especially looking back on Weight Watchers now that there was this one points plan and everybody was supposed to follow it. And it was supposed to be, you know, X, Y, Z. It's like, it's kind of mind blowing to me now that, you know, we're also going to look back and we're going to say like how crazy it was that we cut people open and made their stomachs smaller to lose weight because it has nothing to do with your stomach. It has everything to do with your thoughts, your your beliefs, your upbringing, your habits and your behaviors. So I think from my perspective, what I always say to people is that true success is going to come from experimentation. So when we face, you know, I always look at six pillars for weight loss. I don't just look at food and exercise. Those are those are boring, been there, done that. But can we also look at our hydration, our movement patterns, our sleep, and our stress? And in those six pillars, if we take, let's just take food, for example, programs tell you what to do and you fit your life into the program. I believe in the complete opposite. I believe in testing and adjusting and being aware. So it's really when I'm coaching someone, I will say, well, well, let's try it this week. Let's try having a, a, a larger breakfast and maybe a small dinner, you know, and, and really think about uh, our, our day looking like a, a pyramid, right? And we'll try that for a week and they'll say like, oh, you know, this felt good. I had a lot of energy, but then I got tired or whatever it was. And I'll say, well, let's flip it. Let's have a really small breakfast. Or let's push breakfast back by two hours and see how you feel. And we play. It's constant play. And it's constant. I always, I liken it to like going to a hat store. I don't know where I came up with this analogy, but it seems to work. If you went in a hat store, you'd see a wall full of hats and you'd grab a hat and you'd try it on. And if you look like horrible in the hat, you're not going to take it home and wear it every day. So you put it back on the wall and you grab another hat. That is how real and sustainable program development happens for you individually, which is, you know, no, don't do keto. Don't just like fit your life into some strange level of carb intake, but find out, okay, if I play around with the concepts of this, if I try it and I like pieces of it, you can take pieces of it. You can take, you know, I, t- I took 
pieces of Weight Watchers, pieces of Body for Life, pieces of, you know, all of the different crazy diets that I did. And I pieced together my own quilt, if you will. So that's how I coach people. And we go pillar by pillar. We look one week at a time. We try not to look far. Don't look far down the road. Do not say, I'm going to do this thing for 13 weeks. Look at one week of your life. Look at where the challenges lie. Look at where you can prepare. I, I liken it so often to our work. And people are so flexible and they constantly change course in their job. And if they're doing a project and things don't work out, they change course. And But when it comes to themselves and their weight loss, they're totally inflexible. They totally feel fearful that if they go outside of this structured thing that somebody else made up for them, that they're going to fail. Or they're bad. Or they're bad. Yes. So much guilt and shame, right? That they can't do it, right? Your hat analogy is perfect. And I think like what happens in between putting on one hat and taking off the other hat, that's where the really the magic key is, right? Because, you know, if you try on one hat, it doesn't fit. Like if you try something on your program and it doesn't, doesn't make you feel good. And you like, you, let's say you have oatmeal for breakfast and you feel sugar cravings after or something like that, then don't just go ape shit and eat a bunch of pizza, right? Because that <laughs> right. didn't work. Because that didn't work. Yeah. Right. Right. And it's I think the that's, only place. Right? We don't yeah. do this with our kids. We don't do this with our job. We don't say like, my boss was rude to me yesterday. I'm out. Exactly. Or I, or I wasted 50 bucks. Let me go spend 500. Totally. We always... It's like, you just like, oh, I, you know, you learn yeah, from it that, and you move on. That's it. The, you drop an egg on the floor. You don't dump the rest of the carton. <laughs> you just don't do it. But in weight loss, that is the pervasive... It's what I call diet mentality. And it's it's born out of years and years of dieting and diet culture around you're either doing something or you're not doing it. You're good, you're bad. You're losing weight or you're gaining weight. Real weight loss does not look like that. And you can attest to it, I'm sure, is there is weight loss. And then at certain points, you gain a little back and then you lose a little more and then you maintain on a line for a while. You plateau and then you lose a little more. Like it's not just this like beautiful fantasy that people try to make it out you know, I have this this illustration in my book around the the before and after photos that were on the walls at Weight Watchers. Like, it's such a lie that there's like this sad, overweight person on one side, and then there's this like happy, smiling, at-goal woman who's been made over, and she's living her life. And there's nothing in between. There's just two pictures. And in between those two pictures were so many decisions and so many so many highs and so many lows and so much process that it's not supposed to be this crazy like fantasy dream. It's a real thing and you do real work around it and you have real results. And it's yeah. good, awesome work. Like I, I don't mind the work. In fact, I think it's way worse when I'm not paying attention to myself and when I'm checked out of my awareness and when I'm eating poorly and when I'm not doing all the things that make me feel my best. Yeah, I'm right with you on that. So I want to talk a little bit more about your book, Target 100. So Target 100, I mean, first of all, how do you, how do you even come up with the name Target 100? What does that mean for people yeah. who aren't, aren't, aren't familiar with your work? Well, actually, we've been talking a lot about, you know, this, this idea around people being in or out or up or down. And what I saw helping thousands and thousands of people helping myself was that it was never about perfection. It was so much more about 
you being able to aim for something. And I, I called it target and it's like, uh, has a archery bullseye on the cover of the book because I was playing archery with my children and I realized that I was pulling the arrow back and I was trying to hit the bullseye, but I was missing. I was hitting the concentric outer circles, but I was still getting points. And I found it to be the most important metaphor for weight loss, which is please don't be try to be perfect. What I've seen for people, and people laugh at me all the time in my courses and all of the, the things that I do is like, I'm always asking for a B. Just give me a B. I don't want your A. And people get so wound up in weight loss and try to be perfect. But when they're not, they go from an A, right, to an F, they, right? They're like, oh my God, I used to see this from people like, oh, I ate five extra calories over my, over my goal. I'm, I'm so bad. I feel terrible. I'm going to go eat 6,000 more calories, right? And they throw the baby out with bathwater, like we're saying, the throwing away of the one egg and throwing the whole carton. And I was like, what is that all about? It's guilt and shame. And guilt and shame are activating this reward center in people's brain. And if I could get them to a place where there was no guilt and shame, if they could give me a B, oh, you know what I did? I took three bites of my kid's mac and cheese. I, I'm not bad. I didn't do anything. And those three bites of mac and cheese are never going to be the thing that made you gain the weight. It's the, oh, I ate three bites of mac and cheese. I'm bad. I have guilt and shame. I'll eat a sleeve of Oreos. So I'm trying to, to express in Target 100, the target piece is how ish weight loss is. It's so ish, right? If you can just get to a place where you're eating, you know, the number 100, is around the six pillars in Target 100. I came up with a hundreds in the carbs, so around 100 grams of carbs a day, around 100 ounces of water a day, 100 minutes of movement in a week, 100 minutes of exercise in a week, 100 minutes of stress relief, and 100 extra minutes of sleep in a week. And if that you could go and, and work a program, your own program, not mine, because you hear me, I'm saying around, Maybe you can get away with eating 125 a day, whereas I have to eat closer to 90. But I find out through experimentation that, you know what? When I eat around 90, I pretty much lose weight consistently. When I go above, I'm not a bad person, but not every week was made for weight loss. So the hundreds were there to make it simple. Aspirational, right? right? Yeah. And, and, and aspirational, right? It's a great number. So the target is for the ish, and the hundred is to help you remember what you're aiming for. I love that. It's such, a, it's such an easy thing to remember. And I, 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 I love that idea of not aiming for perfect to recondition ourselves yeah. from feeling bad about making mistakes. I'm curious, is there any like one tip you have for somebody who feels a lot of shame or guilt when they do make a mistake? You know, the... I feel like actually even my question, making a mistake, is, is the, <laughs> that's the problem, right? It's still conditioning right? Right in my mind. It's not a mistake. But when they eat like, you know, two, two or three scoops of cheese pasta... Yeah. And I always call those perceived mistakes, right? Okay. It's a perceived mistake on their part. They've perceived that, that they've done something wrong based on whatever, whatever conditioning they have, right? And so what we know, so a lot of my book is based in brain science and, and science in general, because I come from you know a, a long line of science and, and research, and I believe in it. When we look at the brain under an MRI, the antidote to guilt and shame is gratitude, we can actually flush all of those. So when we feel guilt and shame, it actually activates the reward center in the brain. So you actually go do more of what you didn't want to do when you start feeling guilt and shame. So if you've watched a gambler gambling and they're losing money, 
and they're pushing chips into the table. And you're going like, why are they doing that? They're losing all their money. That's the guilt and shame cycle that gets the reward center in the brain all lit up. So they keep doing what they're doing in this shame cycle. What we can see under that same MRI is that when you practice gratitude, if you can pull yourself out of the shame and guilt and can really just focus on, you know what? (sighs) I'm just so grateful uh, that my two boys are home here with me. I ate three bites of their pasta, but we're all safe and nobody's got COVID and they're homeschooling and they're doing great. And I'm just going to put the lid on this pasta right now. I'm so grateful. And all of a sudden, it shuts down the reward system. It flushes those hormones and that reaction out of the brain. So if you take one thing out of this, is like when you feel shame over an eating thing, first of all, I say you didn't kill anybody. You ate some cheesy noodles. Like, okay, like let it go. The faster you let it go, the faster you move on from it, the less um, tail that it has, the more weight you lose. So for my clients that are successful, that that tail between getting on and off, it just gets totally blurred. There is no on or off. I'm not bad because I ate the mac and cheese. I'm not, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not a bad person. I didn't kill anybody. Can I just put the lid on it now and, and move on? So that would be the gratitude piece is going to change your life. Yeah, I'm a big believer in that as well. You can't be upset and grateful at the same time. Can't do it. Yeah, it just doesn't work. I want to ask you a question about your six targets. Which one of those targets uh, would you recommend somebody start with? I'm a very big believer in one thing, like do mm-hmm. one thing, but you know, chunk it down to the smallest size possible, the e- make it the easiest, succeed at that. I know you're shaking your head for those who can't see, but because once you build that confidence and belief in yourself, you'll have an easier time with the second one. So what's the one target that you would suggest somebody start with? Yeah, well, and you're speaking my language. For anybody who reads the book, like there's an entire chapter dedicated to just breakfast. So I don't even ask you to start with a whole food plan or get all of it right. How about if we just do a week where you look at some breakfasts? And guess what? You're going to actually lose weight because you're focused on one thing and that creates momentum into the rest of your day. It's so funny. I (laughs) I would say if you really feel really far from even wanting to do this, but you know you want to do this, but it's what is like in the far recesses of your brain. And you're like, I can't even imagine getting over that fence right now. It's so far. I find people really demonize the weight loss process because they've had such bad experiences with it too. I would probably say start with the water pillar. The hydration pillar is magical. It's magical. And and in a way that's almost indescribable. We know that like 90% of people are walking around, not just dehydrated, but critically dehydrated. And so they have low energy, they mistake hunger for thirst, and they just generally, every process in our body runs on water. So I would say like, if you said, I'm going to make this simple on myself, I'm just going to get to, you know, if you're drinking almost no water in a day right now, I'd say like, I'm going to just try to drink 50 ounces and work my way up to 100 ounces of water a day or, or ish, right? Always the ish. Maybe your 90 is good for you and 120 is good for her. I want you to find out where that threshold is. I guarantee you will eat less food. You will feel better. You will have more energy. Your skin will look awesome. And you'll just generally be like, I can't believe that this one tiny shift in my behavior can actually have such giant results. 
I'm a big, big water believer too. So that's a, I'm a big fan. And what I love about adding water is the addition, right? You're not taking anything yeah. away. You're just exactly. adding water to whatever you're already consuming. That's, that's brilliant. What I would love to do now is just wrap up with a couple of rapid fire questions, if that's cool. Oh, okay, with you. sure, sure. Rapid fire means you can give as long or short of an answer as you want. <laughs> so we're going to play a little, a little game here with a couple of questions. So the first question is What is the worst advice you hear people give to somebody who wants to lose weight today? <laughs> Eat less and move more. <laughs> <laughs> I've read that, I read that somewhere. Uh, so w- condescending and rude. Totally. What is the book or books you've given the most as a gift and why? Oh, there's a couple there. Well, if it's related to weight loss, it's probably The Power of Habit as a great habit primer on a lot of the work that I do is about habit and habit formation. So that's a great, wonderful book. I think if it's in my in my personal life, I'm thinking about I've given my kids a bunch of books. What would I say the book I've given the most to adults? Ish. Ish, yeah. <laughs> God, it's a good question. I don't know if I can answer it. I'm thinking of a couple. Uh, there's one called Bridge Across Forever that's great. What do you love about it? I like that it, I guess it is related because it blurs the lines of time and reality. And I think that when we kind of start to blur our lines of what we think is true, those limiting beliefs, we start to see amazing, amazing things in this world and find out that all those things that we thought were real never were. They were a figment of our imagination and that they weren't helping us. Oh, wow. I got to check that out. That sounds great. Okay. My next question for you is, what's an unusual habit that you have? I should add something that you, that you enjoy too. It's an unusual habit and that's something that you, you enjoy doing. Funny enough, it's probably cleaning. Really? I find it to be like a huge stress reliever for me to like actually do cleaning. When I'm really stressed out, my husband knows because I'm like furiously like cleaning the kitchen. And so I'd say that's like one of my odd little, you know, most people are like, I hate to clean. And I'm yeah. like, I don't love it. I'm not like, I'm not like taking a day off and saying, I'm just going to clean my house. Like it's a stress reliever. That's, that's one habit I do not have. That's not, <laughs> that definitely takes willpower. Still figuring that one out. <laughs> Two more questions for you. So what has been the most surprising false belief that you've had about yourself? Just that I wasn't good enough. Just, and all of us are good enough. But I really, really thought I just wasn't good enough. And when I dropped that and became my authentic self and knew that me being me was enough, everything changed. I love that too. All right. The last question for you, the question I like to ask everybody, what is one area of your life where you are feeling full in right now? I think in my work life, I'm feeling very full. I'm getting to do things I never even imagined. And I'm tackling things and trying to change a conversation around an issue that is literally talk about a pandemic. This is a global pandemic. And if we don't do something about it, and I feel like I'm getting to a place where I'm being able to really be heard for the first time, I've been yelling in the wind. And now I feel like people are actually listening that maybe the way we've been thinking about this isn't the way that we're going to solve this. And being at the heart of a team who's really um, challenging 
new and interesting ways to make this come to life. So, mm. yeah, talking about your work, is there any um, anything you have going on? If somebody listening was like, "Hey, this resonates with me. I want to get involved." How can they find out more about what you have to offer them? Yeah. So I would say, please, please come visit me at lizjosephsberg.com. There's a classes and events tab. We don't have a lot of classes and events going on right now because I'm actually in the process of building a whole new digital platform. But we do have different challenges and classes that we run. And I have a private Facebook group. And most of all, I'd love it if you read the book, honestly. I'm extremely hands-on in my private Facebook group and in my um, challenges and my courses, I lead them myself live on Zoom. So as they come up, if you join my newsletter, you'll hear about when we kick off another course. Um, I do them sporadically throughout the year, just a, a few times a year. They are just so much fun. So uh, I'd love to see you guys there. Read the book and uh, lots coming in 2022. That's awesome. I'll link everything in the show notes. Um, you'll, I'll get Thank those you. links. It's really awesome having this conversation with you. It's like somebody, you know, I love talking to people who actually really care about this work because it's, so, it's been so impactful in my life. And I know it's been impactful in your life. And you're just so passionate and radiant about this work. And it's really fun to have this conversation with you. Thank you. You too. It's so fun. Yeah. And thank you so much for saying yes and joining the interview. Absolutely. I'm so glad I did. That's it for us today, friends. Thanks for listening. If you want to keep in touch, subscribe to my weekly emails at feelingfull.com, where I unpack what I'm learning about weight loss and share ways we can all live healthier, more fulfilling lives. Do you know someone who's struggling right now? If they can use some support, feel free to share this episode with them. And if you have a moment to rate and review, that really helps grow the show. Take care, be well, and feel full.